Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to learn the power of that old you know, thing that everybody talks about, that work-life balance, right? That ability to actually enjoy what you do, both inside and outside the practice. And we're going to do that with our special guest today, Dr. Melanie Parker. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm really well, happy to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. And as always, if you're listening to the show, if, you're been a, if you've been a regular listener to the Propreneur Podcast, you know that we're always going to ask you to make sure you share this podcast with a friend or a colleague or a family member so that they can also learn these best practices that we're bringing to you every single episode. And don't forget to subscribe because we always have great stuff popping up every single week. And this week is no different, right? Because we have an expert in our field. We love talking to our professionals, the people who actually are getting their fingers dirty every single day and doing what they do. The, the behind the scenes, the knowing that, yeah, we can have all the tools and the tricks and the, the consultants we want, but it's really what happens every single day in the practice that matters. So you're going to be an amazing amount of knowledge today. So we're excited to have you here. Thank you. Well, the thing that I love to do is I love to always ask the story. What got you into orthodontics? Why did you decide to get in this crazy sometimes profession, very rewarding profession? What's your story? Well, my story, I, my family homestead in Colorado. So I grew up there. I started at Colorado State University as an art student. So oh. I came from a completely different side of things. Um, I started taking some science courses and I really fell in love with them. And it wasn't until I moved to California that I really considered dentistry as a profession. I worked with a team of endodontists in Palo Alto and they kind of talked me into it. Mm. And so uh, did you have any experience with orthodontics as a child? I did. So you had braces yourself? Yeah, it wasn't super positive. <laughs> That's what I was just going to ask. What was that experience like? Right. Cause I feel like sometimes we, I, I know that my experience was, it wasn't that it wasn't positive. It's just, I didn't know any different. Right. But now I look back on, it, I'm so grateful for Dr. Farash and what he did for my teeth. And I tell this story from the stage often, but I think that those experiences can shape the way that we turn out as owners of practices and leaders. So how did that experience shape you? Well, it it didn't. It, it, I think I found orthodontics as something that I that I found that I was meant to do. I didn't oh. go into it thinking that this is what my goal is sure. uh, from the beginning. I went to dental school. I didn't expect to um, to specialize, um, but I realized that that was really where I belonged. I I needed something where I was challenged, uh, where I could invent new ways of doing the same thing and. Um, and general dentistry wasn't that for me. And I wanted to, uh, orthodontics really was stimulating intellectually for me. Well, I, I wonder, was it also stimulated artistically because you had that artistic side? Exactly. A smile is probably your best jewelry. And that's what I was doing. I was making smile jewelry. Smile is your best jewelry. Tell me that's not your tagline. <laughs> I just thought of it. Oh, come on. That's a great tagline. <laughs> like you're the, you're the smile artist. And the smile is your best jewelry. Come on, you could have like jewelry parties and get togethers, wine and cheese nights with ladies around that. That's awesome. I love that. Well, um, I think that it is an art. And it's one of the things that I hear uh, often is people who have that type of, of creative mind 
but are also on that side of, oh, it's just that millimeter difference that, that can make a difference in that smile. And, and the, the crafting of something like that is it's amazing. With your experience of having braces, do you bring any of that as a child when you say it wasn't a totally positive experience? How do you bring that into how you deliver things? Like, are you more attentive to them? Are you making sure your team is asking better questions or making the experience more fun or yeah, my orthodontist might as well have not had arms. So, you know, he would stop oh. by and take a peek, at, but the assistants did everything. There wasn't really a, a personal you know, connection mm. with this orthodontist. And, mm -hmm. and that is absolutely something that I do differently. You know, I, every patient I talk to every time. And, um, and I get to know them. And that really helps my day be interesting. I, I re There's something fascinating about every person you meet, even if they're you know, collecting your trash. And it's, I find that it's fun to figure out what that is. That's great. Uh, it reminds me of a saying an old mentor of mine had about humility, right? When you actually are really interested in other people, it's a lot easier to be humble because you recognize two important things. Number one is that you are a genius at something that they are not, but they're a genius at something you are not. And I love how you even brought it. Like the people are, the people are cleaning up our our offices doing the janitorial work. I just had a post on uh, somebody reached out to me about my book, Higher and Fire recently. And they said, uh, it's hard because I'm just a janitor. And, you know, trying to get people to really enjoy what they do or to be excited about working on my team. It's hard because I just clean up other people's stuff. So I had to take the moment and I wrote back and I was like, do not undersell what you do. Because what you do, you allow people to be creative and wonderful in their jobs. They don't have to come here and think about the trash they have to clean up or spend the time and the effort or energy. You get to have a wonderfully smelling place for them to do their business. Like, like I love that you say that. It's like being able to see that and have that human connection. That's where you connect more with people and make people remember you as a, as a, a practitioner. So powerful, powerful. Well, so what was, uh, what is your favorite part throughout your day of doing what you do. Is it the creative side or is it the personal side? I know I'm making you choose here. So it's like Sophie's choice, but is there one that you like more than the other? Well, I think it's integrating them. Um, I like challenging cases because you have to, you know, develop new technology or use newly developed technologies um, and for these cases. And um, you can say, well, in the past, this is what we've done and these are the limitations um there's a new technology that i'd like to try and explain it and i think that's what really um keeps me interested yeah there's it's, it's the evolution of the practice everything's always moving forward you're not getting stuck in their and the retroness of something uh it's very very cool okay so now let's dig into this challenge that i see happening a lot with uh, any practitioner you know the show goes out to not just orthodontists, dentists, uh, general practitioners, uh, uh, chiropractors we've had on this show. We, you know, it doesn't matter what your, your profession is. There is that work-life balance that I think a lot of people are trying to chase. So how did you first come to realize that this is going to be something that you're going to need to focus on if you want to be a great practitioner? Well, I'm, I'm not an expert on it. I just have an opinion. Um, and I think it's really an important topic for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's different for everyone, but there's a quote that um, kind of f shapes my philosophy on this, or, or at least my um, way of go approaching it. And it's a quote by Abraham Lincoln that goes, folks are usually about as happy as they make their minds up to be. 
And I feel that in order to have balance in your life, to have quality of life, you have to set your intention. You have to do it on purpose. The people that listen to your podcasts, like for me, I graduated in 23rd grade. I didn't do that accidentally. And so if you want to have a happier life, then you have to do that on purpose. You have to, maybe it's your schedule and maybe it's how, whether you embrace new technology, maybe it's something else. I'll go through kind of a few different strategies that I have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's just a matter of paying attention to it. Where are you seeing your colleagues uh, when you're just kind of out there in the ether? And I'm not talking about judgment. I'm just saying the awareness of, that you're seeing um, not being on purpose. Well, sometimes you hear people saying that, you know, their practice runs their, their life. Mm. You know, they feel like they don't get enough free time. Um, that, you know, they're always, you could, it's possible to spend, you know, 12 hours a day yeah. on something related to your practice. It's easy to do. Yeah. Um, and I find that if I do that, then if I've got a, a problem that I'm trying to solve, I've got a difficult staff issue or a difficult treatment plan, getting out and doing something else gives me my mind the opportunity for it actually to come to me. So sometimes problems are solved by doing something completely different. It just pops into your head. That's right. Like just changing, uh, changing the pattern, the pattern interrupt, if you will, right? Where it's like you're right. in one mode. Uh, we've all done that. Where we've even trying to remember something that we just thought of and we can't remember it now. I don't know. I've had, I've had some of those senior moments lately. But then if I get into doing something else, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, that'll spark the thing in my head, the thought in my head. So you're right. Being being into one mode all day long, 12 hours a day is very simple, but it also, look at the, it's, you sacrifice quite a bit of that creativity and that time to uh, have those other thoughts pop into your head. So what are some of the strategies that you've used to do that? Well, setting aside time. Um, I take six weeks a year for vacation. Um, and you can do it in a number of ways. Tom Rosenbarger always did three weeks on, one week off. He liked his time off mm-hmm. um, and it worked for him. You can do that kind of a strategy, um, but I don't keep it as rigid as that. It would make it easier to schedule my patients to do that. Way. <laughs> but, uh, but I schedule it around, you know, different activities. For me, I need to be outdoors and I need to be doing something that's super challenging. Mm, like so I've climbed some mountains and, uh, you know, Kilimanjaro and Rainier and Whitney. Um, oh, so not just some mountains. Some big ones. That, that, yeah. <laughs> I like how you use passively. You know, I just like to get inclined. I literally thought when you said that picture in my head was like hiking up one of the hills and, you know, here in Arizona or in Utah where I used to live. You're, oh, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, big challenges. Yes. Okay, cool. So Kilimanjaro, hiking up mountains. What else? This summer, I did the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is about 100 miles through France, Italy, Switzerland, around Mont Blanc. It's, it's challenging, but it's not as dangerous as summiting Mont Blanc itself. But it was fascinating because you get different cultures as well, different mm. foods, and the cheese was fantastic. <laughs> the cheese was. Okay, so you do the climbing, or the ch- something, some sort of challenge. What other uh, ways do you create that balance? Well, one thing that is important to me is really loving what you do more than you already do. Embracing new technologies or um, training and really taking a deep dive into what you, are, you already do well, 
but sometimes there's a new way to do it or um, new, well, there's a lot of new technology available. Um, lingual, you know, lingual braces, embraces new, uh, 3D printing, uh, different aligners, different tads. Um, orthoscience is fascinating to me. Uh, so be curious and dive deeper I into love that. that. And also be curious, we've talked about this a little bit before, but with your patients and with your staff, we work with some fantastic people. So in being curious, um, have you had to work on the skill of asking better questions? Absolutely. Not only to yourself, but other people. Yes. What have you used for that? Any well, resources listening. that you've done? I think listening is, is the most important part of asking the question. Sure. I think, I think a lot of people are always thinking forward to the next question rather than listening to the full answer. So it, I had to work on that. Have you worked on that? Uh, there's workshops that you can take, you know, just actually practicing listening to people and fully listening to what they say and asking them questions about what they said before you take, you know, you have answers to a lot of the things. We get a lot of the same questions, but um, making sure that theirs isn't a little bit unique. So my, my mind comes up with the thought on that right now, as you're saying that, um, do you find yourself someone who's, who's willing to be wrong? Absolutely. How have you practiced that? Like, how, how have you come to that realization? I, for me, and the reason why I ask that is because for me, as you're talking about listening and truly having to listen to somebody through a conversation, obviously, and what I do, not just here on the podcast, but when I'm going out in my consultancy work and I'm listening to the team members and I'm listening to the doctors. And sometimes those are two totally different stories, right? They think they're the same, but they're two totally different stories is that I have found for myself, I've had to get this place of being okay with being wrong, whether it be about an opinion or whether it be about a way that I do something. Uh, where have you found that in your, in your life? Um, I, th I think you learn more if you're willing to accept that you don't know everything. Um, and admitting that patients know that you don't know everything um, and committing yourself to saying, you know, I don't know that, um, but let's find out. And again, being curious and making sure that you're not leaving them behind. You're just saying, let's work on this together. I love that idea of, of being able to say, and it's so true to be able to say, hey, am I not, I don't know the answer. First of all, like you said, builds a, a strong relationship to let the patient know that you're human that you are not, you know, the knower of all things and that you're willing to learn by saying, I don't know that, but I'm willing to find that answer out for you, or I'm going to uh, um, explore a couple of answers for that. Has that same attitude translated over to your team members? Um, yes, to some extent. It, it takes some training. Um, you train on that as a, as a leader? Are you someone who... To, it talks about this or, or it gives them trainings around that or, or brings in somebody to train on that? I have. Yeah. Is, it, is there any in particular that you have found to be more valuable than uh, not others, but just what's one that you found to be valuable? Well, much of it is, is just me, you know, teaching them about basically what, to, what to chart and what questions to ask and that sort of a thing. Um, I have had some uh, kind of looking at, team building and emotional IQ type of training, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I, I needs to be developed in a lot of people. Yes. And so I've had 
someone locally in San Diego come in and help nice. train with that. Very good. Um, I'm curious to find out with the different ways that you have uh, kind of created that work-life balance with your challenges, with your ex- exploration, with your dedication to that vacation, or I call it that um, um, recreate, like we recreate, go out and recreate. We're recreating ourselves when we do that. So I love that you're dedicated to doing that. What are some real practical things, specific things that you feel have, that you've gained as a leader, as an owner, as a practitioner in doing that? I think leadership skills, you've helped, I've, it's helped me develop some leadership skills um, in leading my staff in working with some of the groups that I work with. I do a lot of volunteer work. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do a lot of donation of my time. I do a lot of volunteer work uh, with orthodontics and in, um, um, you know, the PCSO and AAO and CDA. Um, And I find that in order to be a good leader, you really have to give yourself time to be comfortable with yourself. Mm. I like that a lot because I think a lot of people, when we sit and we are by ourselves, we have nothing to do. We find, especially in today's day and age, we find busyness to do instead of just being with yourself. So do you take these trips and do these explorations on your own? I mean, you might meet up with people there, but are, do you go and do that on your own? Do you have a group that you love to do it with? Uh, many ways. Yeah. A lot of the time I find that if somebody else thinks of it, it's more likely to happen. So <laughs> if yeah. I'm, if I'm jumping on their trip, then, uh, then it's going to happen because I'm the kind of person that says, I'm, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And uh, not everybody's that way. So, so having okay. friends that have really great ideas also helps. So then I'm going to assume that that leadership that you've built that you see as a direct uh, correlation to your exploration and your challenges, it's not just the leadership that you've found in yourself, but that you've been able to see and maybe model from others that have led you on these trips. Oh, interesting thought. Perhaps. Yes. Are there any specific areas where you feel like you've truly grown in your leadership? Is it just communication? Is it, uh, being able to be thorough in your, you know, at directions asking and then having them paint the picture or paint the picture of exactly what you want. Is it delegation? There's so many aspects to leadership. I'd love to know uh, maybe a little deeper dive into where you feel like you've grown. Well, I think a lot of that is from the, the teaching that I've been able to do uh, and the volunteering because I'm with the UCSD free dental clinic project, which means that I volunteer my time. I do, I teach pre-dental students uh, about orthodontics. They run the clinics and I do the work. Um, And um, I've taught at the medical school. So that's been a challenge for me because public speaking is not my thing. Being put in front of a bunch of medical students that are just struggling to stay awake has um, forced me to be a better speaker, be a better leader. And um, I think in general, be a little bit, uh, more comfortable with myself. Well, it's interesting because what you've just said there, and then what I, I what I hear even with the challenges that you're giving yourself, I'm going to assume that you've always been someone who is uh, loves outdoors and kind of up for those that type of challenge. Is that correct? Absolutely. So even with that, though, 
what is coming up for me is kind of a theme around what you even just said, getting outside and uh, speaking and things like that is really pushing that comfort zone. That even though you're used to being someone who likes adventure and being outdoors, Kilimanjaro, all these other places, those are challenges and you have to be, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because you're not luxury accommodations in most of these places, right? No, sometimes you're sleeping on the mountain. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm. I'm I, listen, I am not that guy. And when I hear people talk about that, that's the first thing I go to. Is like, so that means you're sleeping on the ground and on rocks. And yeah, Place. I just don't. Yeah, yeah. I not. That's not me. And but I also see the value of getting out of that comfort zone and really stretching yourself. And I bet that if I were to talk to your team members, that's one of the areas that they would say you ask them to do as well. Get out of the comfort zone. I know it's not always fun and easy to talk to that maybe difficult patient or that difficult patient's mom, or I know it's not always fun or easy to do fill in the blank, right? But when we get out of our comfort zone, we grow as human beings. Would that be correct? Yeah. And, you know, I I bought Bud Rubin's practice. And uh, one thing that he always says is what you resist persists. Oh, so true. So if you run away from it, it's always going to come back yep. at you. So face it head on. Yeah, and nor and and an unanswered frustration never gets smaller, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, and you look at your practices, it never gets smaller. So you have to be willing to have those crucial conversations. And all of this stuff is such a great. Uh, what you're doing is a great, is a great metaphor for what you have to teach your team members every single day. So. If you are, if, so let's just say a colleague comes to you or uh, somebody's driving in their car right now listening to this, and they just can't wrap their head around the idea of not working that 12 hours a day. They know they probably should, and they've heard this whole work-life balance thing, or maybe get out and explore more. What, what advice would you give them of maybe a why? And, and I love that it's your opinion. And that's what we're here for is because we want to make sure that we hear a whole bunch of different opinions. This is opinion I think is very important because people need to hear it's okay. Your practice could survive. You will survive. You'll probably even thrive a little better if you do these type of things. So what would your advice be to that doctor? Well, it's getting it on the books, scheduling it. Oh, so smart. You have to really um, plan it, you know, for me, I can do almost anything two weeks at a time, mm-hmm. and it has to be planned eight weeks out. So if I've got it on the book, um, then it's going to happen, at least the way I run my life. And um, so scheduling that, and then you can plan for it. You can get used to the idea. And once you've come back and realized that the world didn't end and nothing fell apart, <laughs> it's um, possible to do it again. And every time, you know, I stress, is, are my patients going to be okay, mm-hmm. you know, or is everything going to be all right at home? And it's always fine. But you, well, you know, take it to protect it. Yeah, because your soap opera writer in your brain is going to go crazy right before you leave. All the disasters that could possibly happen, right? And then it never does happen. I think it's, I want to say it's, it's not Thomas Edison um, who says, he has that quote of, uh, I've had a million things go wrong in my life and most of them have never come true, right? It's <laughs> like, like we have this so many soap opera writers in our head also, um, the ability to, to recreate, come back, and be that better doctor because you got to have that thing. You got to go and have that, 
that experience that was yours and personable. Um, if you aren't putting it on your schedule, it's not going to happen. You, you have colleagues, you have friends that you talk to. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to do that someday. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got to get to that someday. And we all are, I think, are victims of this. But unless you dedicate the time, there's a saying I probably said on the show a couple of times before of a mentor of mine who said, you cannot steal time. You cannot make time. You cannot create time. All you can do is dedicate time. Very good. And what you get to choose, you, you, you dedicate it to, that's what you're going to do. And so you are really good at dedicating that time. Yeah. Have you always been that way? No, no. I think, you know, with residency, you have to plan your time so carefully because you don't have a lot. Sure. And I, I continue doing that. So take my life in blocks of time. And sometimes the priority is sure. stage of life. Or, yeah. You know, spending mm-hmm. time with your family. Um, but for me, a priority is making time to get out of my head, you know, get out of my normal routine and do something different that I will probably love. So obviously through, like you said, residency and stuff, the time really isn't even your own, right? It's, it, it belongs right. to what you're having to do. Was there a catalyst moment in your professional life that made you realize I have got to make this a priority? No, I've always been that way. Wow. That's great. That's really good. So you haven't had to, you've been building that muscle from the beginning Whereas there are people listening to the show right now who they've got to understand that there's a part of you having to, if you haven't been doing that, you need to actually start building the muscle. So therefore it becomes just a normal part of your team because I'm I'm going to assume that for you not taking the time off is kind of weird. (laughs) Well, it's easy to stay. It's easy to not take the time off because I, I have to do that every time I have to, make sure that I'm setting aside time because you, we, we care about our patients yeah. and we care about our practices and you falsely assume that that means you have to be there all the time. Yes. And so yeah. if you're not, go ahead. They, they seem to really enjoy it actually that my patients like my adventures and seeing where I've been and I share uh, it with them. That's a very interesting aspect that uh, I like is you then let your team members, your, obviously your team members know, but your clients know where you've been, what adventures you've been on, how it went. You tell them those things. You have pictures of it. What do you do? Yeah. God, I put up pictures in the office and, um, and I might take something that they've done and do their adventure, use their Oh, adventure. that's cool. Yeah. That's fascinating. And here's why, because um, I, I, I'm sure you have over the years run into this. I've run into this in my work of, Doctors who really don't want to share that type of stuff, share their wins, share their adventures, because they're worried about, oh, well, it looks like, you know, I'm making money or it looks like, you know, the patient's going to think, yeah, I paid for that vacation. But I really believe that people love to celebrate other people's success and people love to live. I know that when I was a kid and I had Dr. Johnson and his son, Dr. Johnson, who were my dentist, they were, I knew they were well off. I knew they drove nice cars and we didn't. And we had, you know, we lived in a trailer. We didn't have a lot. But me seeing that made me aspire to want more of that. Not because of envy or uh, anything like that, but of, oh, wow, if you work hard and if you actually are good at what you do, it makes sense that you're going to reap some of those rewards. I think it's a great example that you give, not just to your team members, but also to your patients of showing them these adventures. Thank you. 
Uh, have you had any experience where you've had uh, been able to share this experience with someone or these experiences and it's inspired them to do something? Absolutely. I can't think of one specifically because it happens a lot, but um, in the opposite direction, I was telling a, a patient that I was going to Indonesia and she said, Oh, you've got to go to Chiang Mai. You've got to climb up this waterfall. It's the best thing I did there. And I did it. Oh. It was fantastic. So, you know, I, there you go. You know, we like, we just collaborate on things like that, which it's, um, it's, there's so many really fascinating things to do that getting into this conversation with, like I said, the most, everybody's got something really fascinating about them. You just have to spend a little bit of time. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and have, again, having more of that conversation with them and getting to know them a little bit more. And when that comes up, hey, I'm going to this place. Hey, you should go check this out. I mean, how many of us haven't had that situation? And now the patient is now really involved in the success of what you get to do. And they're coming to visit you, you know, excited to get their braces, you know, adjusted or whatever, but also to get hear the report of this really cool thing that you got to go do. Yeah. That's awesome. That's very, very cool. So any uh, other advice that you would give to besides scheduling, which is I think probably the most important and, 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 and uh, wise part of doing this, any other advice around that fun and profits idea? Um, embracing new technologies and, and giving back. Those are my. Love it. Giving back. Where do you give back the most? You've mentioned some of the places you teach. You mentioned some places you volunteer. Anyone that's like really close to your heart? UCSD free clinic project. We treat uh, homeless and working poor in oh. the community. I actually do some free orthodontics, mostly with removable appliances. Uh, we have got a clinic that's built at a school in Lemon Grove, and um, it's been tremendously rewarding to me. What's the biggest um, kind of, well, reward you just used that word, but yeah, what's the reward that you see the most in your own life when you when you're sitting by yourself and you're like just thinking about the, the impact you're having on people, there's obviously the impact you have in your business. Love that. But what's the, what's that, what's that by yourself uh, gratitude that you feel around being able to give back? Is there anything specific? Well, the, there isn't an orthodontist in the world that isn't, that hasn't had the experience of changing someone's life for the better. Somebody that would have been looked at as, maybe not intelligent as being maybe a bully and turn them into somebody that is um, that other people look at as being more intelligent or being more attractive because how you look impacts how the world looks at you. Yeah. So true. I often say um, I use my mom as an example and she's actually continuing to be an example because uh, you know, she didn't get braces until she was about 60 years old. I actually don't think she was a good patient for braces. I wasn't in this industry at that time. Um, and she didn't have the bone density to do it. And so now she had braces, she got her teeth straightened and now they're all falling out, right? Uh, and it's, it's, it's a bad situation. But the, the story that I usually use uh, in conjunction with what you're just talking about is changing people's lives is we accept through, if we look at photo albums, right? We accept weight gain and weight loss. We accept weird hairdos, you know, from back in the 60s, 70s and 80s. We accept a change in style and fashion because it's just the thing that's gonna change. We know it's gonna change. But the one thing that never changes throughout the years, if you don't get it fixed, is your smile. 
And my mom is a good example of that. You look at her pictures all through her life, 60 years. And it's the thing she's, uh, she'll point out, oh, look at that. I hate that I'm smiling there. I don't want to show my smile because her teeth are not comfortable, if you will. <laughs> like they're not pretty. And so I think when we think about that as what you're doing for the homeless community or the um, impoverished community, that you're giving them that opportunity to, no matter what's going on, to be proud of that smile. And if you don't smile, then people think you're unfriendly. And yeah. it's, it's not that. It's just that you're self-conscious and, and sure. it starts you off on the wrong foot. Yeah, Absolutely. Wow, that's great. Great, great, great words of wisdom. Well, we've come to the part of our show where we do our six rapid fire questions. Are you okay. game to play? Sure. All right. So they're quick. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. You give me the first thing that comes to your mind. What's the number one thing that you wish they would have taught you back in school? Well, they did teach me that uh, once you graduate, the orthodontics will be the easy part and that, mm -hmm. you know, everything else is difficult. But that comes with the experience and it comes with this kind of exposure to practice management and um, you can gain that information. It's just something that you have to take time to do. Got it. Is there a book that every private practice owner should be reading? Yes. Um, for our topic, I would say uh, the book of joy by the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. Nice. Very good. I have not read that actually yet. That's great. We will put that in the show notes and I'll make sure I put that on my audible I love my Audible. It's my favorite thing. Uh, so we will make sure you put that on there. So speaking of books in my book, The Practice Rx, I talk often about the focus of team culture and, and uh, team performance as the foundation of business growth. When you uh, are out there in the world, you're at these different events like you're at right now, what do you see as the biggest challenge private practice owners are facing when it comes to their teams and their office culture? Uh, and it's something we spoke of just before, emotional IQ. Ah. Uh, People can be trained to handle situations better. And um, it's, some people, it's innate. Some people are born with it. Um, but I think anybody can be trained to handle situations better. Emotional intelligence is such an important topic that we really need to talk more and more about because we can. Those are, those are skills that can be taught. Those are skills. That, and, and it's not, what's cool about it is that it is a ripple effect, right? It's not just what's going on in the office. It's their life. Mm -hmm. When people learn how to communicate better, to have more empathy with one another, to uh, take that out into the world, that's, that's huge. That's, gonna, that's the ripple effect we're looking for. Before we get on to the last two questions, how can uh, li uh, listeners reach out to you if they had some more questions about some of these amazing adventures on? Maybe some of them want to go on the adventure with you. Absolutely. Um, my email is uh, drmelp at yahoo, Dr. Melp. All right. We will make sure we have that in the show notes as well. What's the best advice that you've ever received in life or in business? Well, it's something that I just heard. Um, always be curious, always seek out things that you love, and always work hard once you find it. And that was Kobe Bryant. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Wow. It's, it, it's one of those sad situations, but he left us with a lot of great examples in our life. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, what's the best resource or tool that you use to grow your practice? I'd say, well, it's many. I'd say just embrace new technologies. Um, new because, technologies. Yeah, whether it's um, advertising your practice or learning new treatment techniques um, or just learning what platforms your patients are looking at, it's going to help um, you communicate with them because you know how, like, 
I like watching Dr. Pimple Popper because I like how she, <laughs> how she communicates with her patients. It's been inspirational to me because interesting because not that I want to watch that stuff, but because she relates to people in a really positive way. That's very interesting. It's another way. Yeah, I've heard a lot of. I haven't seen the show. I've seen a, a, like one little commercial, whatever. But I have heard many people watching it because of the 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 weirdness factor, right? But that's a great perspective to take on it that you're hearing someone who obviously has to have some sort of really high emotional IQ um, in order to relate to people. So that's great. Good way to look at it. Well, Dr. Parker, you've been a great source of knowledge for our show today. And I know that people listening have uh, learned whether it's being uh, making sure they write down and schedule when they're going to go on their next adventure, going on an adventure in general, that would be great but just actually helping people uh, actually have that better balance between their work and their life and, and having both fun and creating more profit in their business is, is powerful. So thank you so much for being a part of our show. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Absolutely. And everybody listening, as you know, our goal here is always to help you be more proactive, productive and profitable in all areas of your life and business. And today was no exception. I hope that you've taken great notes and the great opportunity to listen to what Dr. Parker, Parker has shared with all of us and we'll put it into action because that's the most important piece. Again, always remember to share these best practices with your friends and colleagues so that they also can grow their practices and become true propreneurs. Thank you again for listening, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.